This is the Luke 10-2 podcast, a conversation about preaching, planting, and leading with Noah Oldham. On today's episode, Noah gives us three criteria for evaluating preaching and discusses how to grow as a preacher. Let's get started. Well, last time on the podcast, Noah, we talked about improving as a leader. Today, we want to talk about improving as a preacher. Yes. And last time, you talked about the importance of honest feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, and I assume that still applies to becoming improving as a preacher? Absolutely. I think one of the greatest ways for us to improve in any area of life is honest feedback. And so following along that theme, I think the greatest way that we improve as preachers is honest feedback. But it's honest feedback from two directions. Um, first, I think we need to have honest feedback internally from ourselves. We need to be evaluating and, and giving ourselves truthful feedback. But secondarily uh, to that, we need to also seek out, uh, honest feedback from the outside as well. I think there's a number of ways to do that um, in general, but, but I have some specifics that, I, that I've, I've used and I'm excited to help others use as well. Yeah, so when you think about the internal um, feedback and evaluating yourself, so to speak, how do you begin to determine what you did well? Yeah, I think every preacher's got to set some criteria. If you don't have criteria for what is good preaching, what, what is the goal you're trying to achieve, then you're never going to know if you're actually improving or not. The target's always moving. What guys have often wrongly done, and I think what I wrongly did early on in my preaching, was I was always trying to become the next somebody else. Mm-hmm. I want to I preach like that. And then I got to a point where I realized I don't want to become... A second version of anybody else. I want to become the best version of myself. God has a call for me. God said in his sovereign plan that this city, the mission here required me. And so then I need to become the best me. It didn't require two of you or two of anybody else, but one of me. So I want to become the best me. So I got to set criteria. So for me, I've set some criteria for myself and they follow in three categories for myself and for my team at August Gate as I help lead in the evaluation process of preaching. Number one is faithful. Number two is passionate, and number three is compelling. Is my preaching, was this sermon faithful, passionate, and compelling? First, we'll start with faithful. Faithful means faithful to the text. Did I say what the text said? Did I say what the text meant? Why is that important? Well, I think that that's what preaching is. The only Mm -hmm. reason we preach is because God spoke. Mm -hmm. We speak because God speaks. If God didn't speak... We would need to speak. We would be worshiping ourselves. We would be the leaders of our religion. We'd be giving truth that comes from ourselves. But the, the number one task of the Bible preacher is to preach the Bible. It's to help other people hear the revelation of God. Not my great ideas or my creativity. Mm-hmm. What does God want to communicate? Yeah, I, uh, I'm rereading Between Two Worlds by John Stott. Yeah. And he has a section where he talks about the convictions a preacher needs before he preaches. And the second one is that scripture is God's word. He says, until you know that God has spoken, you don't need to speak. That's right. That's right. Because you're going to come up there in the pulpit with all kinds of ideas. And man, not only are you wasting people's times, you might actually be injuring people. Mm -hmm. Because for you to cloak your words in the shroud of this is God's word, man, that's dangerous. That is so dangerous. And we're going to be held accountable for that. So faithfulness is number one. Man, am I faithful to the text? Um, I I believe in the historical grammatical approach of, of, of exegeting scripture. Am I saying what this meant to the original audience? 
Is this what how they would have heard this? Is this how they would have understood this? So I want to be faithful. So you need lots of tools, and you can get better in this. Um, some of the ways you can seek to get better is you can. You can go to seminary. You can take some preaching classes. Or you can get some of the texts that you would use in a seminary and learn the basics of hermeneutics and exegesis. And hermeneutics is the art and the science of interpretation. Every preacher needs to learn to use that so they understand, here's what it says and here's how I bridge the gap and say how it applies to our, our context today. So seeking to become more and more faithful over the years. Secondly, is passionate. Was I passionate in my preaching? In other words, do I sound like I believe what I'm saying? Am I moved by it? Has the text worked itself out through my life, through my mind, through my heart? Am I worshiping as I preach? Is this a worshipful endeavor? Now, not everybody preaches as hot as I do. I mean, I, I come out most weeks guns blazing because that's how, that's my walk with the Lord. I, I get I get warmed up by the word and I, I'm just like a radiator. I just start to, it just comes out of me. I'm steaming everywhere most weeks. Um, but not everybody's like that. But that's because my worship style is like that. When I'm singing, my hands are raised and I'm moving back and forth when the music starts and I'm shouting and raising a rock fist of praise and all those kinds of things. <laughs> and uh, some people are more introspective in that. And so you'll see preachers that are just as passionate, but their, their tone is lower and, and their affect is different. But are you worshiping? Are you passionate about this? Uh, and then thirdly, are you compelling? Are you preaching in such a way that others are moved or others can move because of the gospel or toward the gospel? Are you giving them opportunity to hear the word, believe the word, and obey the word? Is this just a mental exercise for them? Do you just pass along knowledge? Or do you give them opportunity to apply it to their life and to then go step out and, and obey it and do it in their life? And so I don't think that we're, we're finished as preachers until we grow in all three of those areas consistently. And I think we're all going to do that the rest of our lives. Are those criteria obviously faithful? We're going to apply that to every preacher. Yeah. Do you think that um, every preacher should adopt the same uh, criteria to evaluate themselves? I do. Um, I mean, <laughs> it's I, your criteria. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't choose them as criteria if I didn't think they were if they were universal. Uh, but at least criteria for my team. Um, there, those, there's other personal criteria that I have that I, I would not hold everyone else to. But those three things I do believe are universal, and I would teach them. Mm -hmm. I am teaching them at different pastors' conferences that I'm speaking at here in the near future than I have in the past. Uh, but I would say, you know, use your own spin on it. Use other words that make sense to you. How do you measure, um, so faithfulness, we can measure that because did you say what the text says? Yeah. Can we see how you arrived at the conclusions you arrived at? Right. When it comes to passion, you mentioned that's going to look different depending on the person's personality. How would you measure passion for yourself? And how would you encourage somebody who's maybe not quite as hot as you described it in the pulpit? Yeah, yeah. So I often talk to preachers about the opposite of me. So for me to be passionate and compelling and to not just come come off overwhelming to people is because I do preach at a higher level and I do preach hot most of the time. When I want to make a point, I've got to bring it down low. And so I've learned to do that and I, I listen to myself and I make sure that I'm doing it and I practice that. Now somebody who is more low in their preaching, mm -hmm. like a Jared Wilson. Jared is a tremendous preacher. I almost cry every time I hear him preach. But for him to make an emphasis, sometimes he's got to go up. And when he does go up, you're like, oh, I'm leaning in now because he doesn't preach like this normally. Same thing for somebody when I go low. It's like, oh, Noah, he stopped yelling for a moment. So let's, <laughs> let's lean into what he's saying here as we, uh, we hear him whisper here for a moment. So I would encourage people in that, know your personality, know your worship style. Because again, I think it's got to be worship. Prayer, preaching is, is worship just as much as prayer and singing is. 
It's worship. It's us giving our gifts, our life as a living sacrifice. Do it worshipful, not just dutiful. So it sounds like passion then, um, to some degree, comes out as personal conviction. It's, I believe this. Well, the Greek word of passion, uh, um, you know, from the gut. Mm-hmm. People say to, to have compassion is to have something from the gut. I, I think that. I think it's, this, does this come from within you? Um, or do you have unction? Yeah. So, and then the, the way that that conviction comes out, one of the ways you're going to measure that is a delivery method, mm-hmm. um, variance and delivery style based on yeah. your personality and your rhythm. You, know, you can tell if somebody's moved by it. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't move people, I don't think, unless you're moved by something. And you can tell different people are motivated in different ways and people, different people show motivation in different ways. But that's, that's it. It's, are you motivated by this? Is, it, is this done something to you? And it's a little bit of an intangible until you learn somebody. So you sit under their preaching for a while, you get to know the personality, then you're like, ah, I see it. Because mm-hmm. all the guys on my team, I can tell when they are phoning it in and when they are moved by it, when it's fresh and it's revelation from God in their bones. Have you ever had the experience of you preached the first service and you felt like you were your passion was a little bit lacking and it was mm-hmm. almost like in between services you just went, you spent 20 minutes with the Lord and it's like you came back to second service for round two and it was... Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, it used to be different. I used to think that my second sermon was going to be the best because I could practice than the first sermon. Uh, but what I realized is my first sermon, more often than not for me, it's freshest. Yeah. I spent time with the Lord that morning. I get up about three hours before I preach, get alone with the Lord, and really, like I said, get warmed up. Get the, mm-hmm. the Word in my bones again and, and just meet with the Lord in the Spirit and say, God, fill me up so I can go do this. And then I'm often poured out. And the second service is like, yeah. oh, we're going to do this again. So what I learned I had to do is I have to take a snack with me. So I try to make sure that my nutrition is on point so that I eat a good healthy breakfast. It's going to have energy that's going to last. And so I eat proper level of carbohydrates, but also fat that's going to be burning slowly. And then I take something with me like an apple, or sometimes even pre-workout. Not everybody knows what pre-workout is, but it's a little, it's a drink that's got a little bit of caffeine in it. And uh, it gives me a kick in between services. It kicks in about 20 minutes. And so in between services, I, I go do that because I want to make sure that, that my frailty, my human frailty, isn't the thing that's in the way. Totally. And, and that can often be that. I'm just tired or I, I poured it out and I ask the Lord for energy to do it again. Um, my dad but, used to drink six shots of espresso before oh, a Sunday. Wow. Well, a, we might need to put a disclaimer a on this episode that, that we are not <laughs> doctors and our, our health our health advice is not uh, to be taken necessarily literally. <laughs> um, and then when it comes to compelling, how do you measure if it was compelling? Are you who, um, you know, if nobody came forward, you were not compelling enough. If, you know, you didn't have any conversions after this talk or after this sermon, yeah. you weren't compelling enough. Yeah, it's not always reporting. It's not always somebody come up and say, mm-hmm. oh my goodness, good sermon today. It is, it's the mechanics of compulsion. Okay, did I illustrate this well. So I can explain it. I can be faithful in explaining the text, but did I illustrate it so people could not only heard it, but they could believe it. Yeah. They could they could understand, oh, that's what he means. That's how that applies. And then lastly, did I apply it? Did I give them something to do about the word? Because James says we are to be doers of the word, not just hearers only. Because if we are, we're like idiots who forget our own face. I don't know about you, but I know what my ugly mug looks like. And so I want to make sure people are given that opportunity. So we give them the opportunity to respond there because mm-hmm. God might be working on their heart. But more often than not, we have to give them, did I send them out with something to do? And we can measure that. Yeah. Or we just, oh man, I didn't give time for the 
for the end of this sermon. I just closed it down real quick and didn't land the plane well. So people don't have anything to do. Well, that's my fault. I need to get better. That is the compelling part. Um, but then it all it is also hearing and and getting feedback from others about those things. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Yeah, totally. Yeah. All right, so faithful, passionate, compelling. Yeah. Those are the criteria. Yeah, and one of the ways that I, I do this, that I, I figure out what it is personally, so I evaluate those those areas, but the greatest way for me to actually do it besides remembering, because, you know, you've preached a lot, you know this. One of the first things that I do as a preacher when I sit down is I begin to pick my sermon mm-hmm. apart and really beg God to, to use it. Oh, God, I know I screwed this all up, but if you could please just clean it up and use it. Uh, I begin to pick it apart right away. So often, right after is not the best time. So what I do is game film. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a football player in high school and college, and in high school, it was every Friday you would play a game, and you'd show up Saturday morning, the next morning, bloodied and bruised from the night before, and you watch game film. Now, if it was a good game, you loved it. You won, and you had a good game. You're watching it, and you're doing the oohs and the ahs with the hits that you see after each play, and you're giving each other high fives. Man, that was awesome. But often, if you lost, um, it was coach pointing out, this is, these are the reasons we lost. Mm-hmm. Our splits were often too wide, and we weren't hitting our gaps. And man, defense, where were you at? You weren't reading the, the defensive end, or the offensive tight end for the you know, the crackdown and all kinds of stuff. And I do that with preaching now. So every sermon that I preach that's put online, whether at August Gate or anywhere else, I get the link and I find time to listen to it. Often when I'm driving, mm-hmm. and sometimes my kids will be in the car with me, and I'll put it on and and they'll listen with me. In fact, the other day that I was has, that has multiple effects. Oh man, it disciple does. your kids, preach the word. Fun story is, is a couple weeks ago I was listening to a sermon and before I came and picked my son up for baseball practice and it was on my on my phone and when I plugged my phone back in 30 minutes later to take him to practice, it just automatically restarted or, or kept going from where it was and I just let it go instead of turning it off to see how he would react and uh, I said, hey, you know who that preacher is? He said, that's you, isn't it? And I said, I don't know if it's me, but he's a really good preacher, don't you think? He's like, he's okay. And so uh, sometimes our kids can be really good feedback and, and help put us in our place. But game film has been, it's been helpful because it allows me to see, okay, where am I? Honestly, where am I? Mm-hmm. I can think about where I was, but when I listen to it, or if you have video and you watch it, which I'll watch if I'm ever on video preaching somewhere, you get to see your mannerisms. You get to hear your, your vocal inflection. You get to hear your pace. You get to also see if you have these like weird nonverbal gestures that you don't need to do. Mm-hmm. You also get to hear these vocal fillers that so many preachers fill their sermons with. They say, say the word um and right and any number of things over and over again. Like a little bit. The phrase a little bit comes out all the time right now. A little bit. We want to spend a little bit talking about a little bit, a little bit. Really? Yeah. Well, I'm now going to be paranoid that I say that I, a I, little bit. I caught it myself <laughs> saying it. And then yeah. the other thing people say right now is kind of. Mm-hmm. They say kind of before everything. We're, we're just going to kind of look at this morning. We're going to kind of. We're just going to kind of. Yeah. yeah. It's like, why are we. Just yeah. say it. You don't have to say we're kind of going to do that. We're literally going to do that. Yeah. Yeah. There's all kinds of those things. And we don't recognize it until either somebody's brave enough to point it out, which is often awkward and feels like an attack and like overly critical. Or we listen ourselves and we say, I have this tendency. Mm-hmm. And here's why I have the tendency when I don't know my notes well enough or when I've not worked this thought through my mind well enough. We begin to have a little stutter or we pause. We have the vocal fillers and we're trying to think. Figuring out what those are, for me, only comes through game film. But then also the other side of that is I want to find ways to improve 
who are the best communicators? How do I know if, if I've reached a level of this is good communication or what's the style and how can I learn to be more compelling with vocal tone and some of those things that aren't necessarily um, biblically mandated but are helpful for the culture that we live in and the communication style. And so what I try not to do, though, is listen to a lot of preachers because I have a tendency, I listen to a preacher enough, I begin to adopt some of his habits. Mm-hmm. When I served underneath Mark Sigma at St. Charles during my residency, I found myself doing the same mannerisms as, as him and the same little knee tick that he has. And it's very keenly him and it, it works. When I listened to guys like Driscoll back in the day, I'd find myself telling jokes like them and doing different things vocally like them. I don't want to become the next anybody else. I want to become the best version of me. And so the people that I have the ability to watch and learn from that I don't have the danger of becoming, well, as much danger, are professional comedians. Professional comedians, I've been told a long time ago, someone said that they're the only other person besides a preacher, that their job is to hold people's attention for 30 minutes to an hour and to have content that keeps their attention. So I, I watch comedians all the time. Now, I know this is this could be dangerous because most comedy today in our culture is not clean. It's not not healthy and helpful, but there's this new, at least relatively new to me, a brand of comedy called dry bar comedy. I think it's, I think it's Mormon people who put it on. So, you know, it's going to be super clean. It's out in Utah, Provo, Utah is where they host it. And they have these comedians come through and they do a family friendly show. So if you listen to these comedians elsewhere, it might not be family friendly, but on this, it always is. And I've learned so much by watching them over the years, just the way they transition, which I stink at transitions, the way that they use humor to make a really intellectual point. And I've learned things not to do. I've learned how to not pick on people in the crowd. Like, oh, that feels awkward. I would hate that. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't ever want to feel that way, you know, in a gospel sermon. So I've learned the good and the bad from comedians. Super That's helpful. Really good. Yeah. That was good. Um, when you, do you enjoy listening to yourself? I do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I still pick on myself and I know my yeah. voice is weird to me and those kinds of things, but I do just like game film. I like to see myself achieve in those things. I've set the goals mm-hmm. and when I'm faithful and I've planned this this line word for word and God has placed it on my heart and, and I deliver it well, I do mm-hmm. celebrate that because I'm obeying the Lord and I'm growing in my craft. I'm also, I mean, I hate it when I realize, man, I did fail in that. Mm-hmm. I didn't do my best and I, I know why. I didn't prepare. I didn't execute or I was distracted, but I learned from it. So I do enjoy it. It's one of the things I look forward to doing nearly every week. So when you're studying the game film, so to speak, um, are you looking for, are you using those three criteria and you're you're just going through those in your mind? Okay, did, did I make that point? Did I show how that point is faithful? What are you thinking about as you do it? Are you yeah. just... So I have those. So those three, what yeah. I would call universal... Um, universal metrics, I I look for those, but then I have some that are very personal metrics. I have a a style of preaching that I find preferable, and I'm looking for those, because that's the kind of preacher I think God's called Mm -hmm. me to be. I'm looking for those specific things. And so one of those things we've already mentioned is my volume. I love being a hot preacher. That's Mm -hmm. the kind of preaching that moves me. But I realize if I stay there the whole time, it's actually not effective. So I have to make sure that I have the balance. Did I come down? Did I come off yelling the whole time. Mm-hmm. One time my kids were listening to my sermon, they are like, you yelled the entire time. Well, I realized because the air conditioner was on in the building I was preaching in, it was so loud. I wasn't meaning to yell, I was trying to be loud enough so I could hear myself. Now, when I preach in that venue, I know that's a tendency, and so I just take yep. it down. 
take it down on purpose. So I'm looking for some things that I know specifically I want to grow in. So set your criteria, set the areas of specifics you do want to grow in, and then go execute. And as you listen, you'll pick up on things you as will. you go. Yeah. Um, so we've talked about internal uh, evaluation. Now let's talk about people from the outside. Um, what advice would you have for uh, seeking the feedback of others as it relates to preaching? Gosh, this is probably one of the areas I think a lot of preachers struggle, if we're honest. We hate this part because we're so insecure. We already beat ourselves up enough that looking for feedback from others just feels like insult to injury. It feels like crushing a bruised <laughs> reed, right? And Jesus says he wouldn't do that, so we shouldn't do that. But we need to, oh, to, to become better. So you've got to have trusted people. And so there's two ways to do this, to get feedback from others. You can either wait for it or you can go for it. And I think a combination of both is helpful. You are going to have times when people give you feedback. Listen for it. Mm-hmm. And I've had people over the years that have been such a gift to me. They've been humble and they've come to me and said, Pastor Noah, I love you and I'm so thankful for your ministry today. But when you said this, oh, it just, it just came out wrong. And they've come almost in tears sometimes. And that's been so helpful for me. Thank you for the feedback. Oh my gosh, thank you. I've had the other feedback, people just majoring on minors. And I've been like, I don't want to listen to that at all. But I do listen because that's how they perceived it. Mm-hmm. And I have to remember, okay, is, are these the kind of people I'm trying to reach anyway? You know, if you got some Baptist grandpa that, that's been saved for 90 years that visits his grandkid and comes to our church and tells me that I need to do something differently for his demographic, well, we're really not majoring in the senior citizen circuit right now. Uh, somebody else is, and they need to care about that more. We are trying to reach unchurched and dechurched 20s and 30s, and so we're going to make sure that the idiom fits them. And so I'll, I'll go for that. So I'll wait for all kinds, I'll receive it, I'll process it. But you got to go for the kind of feedback you're looking for. Um, two people that I go to on a regular basis are my wife and my oldest daughter because they know me really well, they've heard me more than anybody else, mm-hmm. and they're two different demographics. They're both Christians, and I want both of them to walk away every week hearing, believing, and obeying the Word of God. So I ask them, just not every week, I'll, I'll, on times that they're not ready for it, how was the sermon today? And they'll say something along the lines of, oh, I was good. What was good? And like, oh, you're doing this again, huh? No, I really want to hear, what do you, what do you feel like was good? Mm-hmm. What gripped you? What helped you? Um, I asked my daughter, Allie, who's almost 10, to stay into the service now. She's gone to AG Kids for years and has grown in the gospel. But she, it's time for her to be in the service because she takes amazing notes. She asks amazing questions. And my goal is to get to a point where I can, I can know her questions before she asks them, that I don't have to wait till after the sermon on the drive home to get her five or six questions, but I can think like a 10-year-old Christian and think, what will be confusing for her and what can I explain beforehand? Because I do that already. I think most preachers do that. That's great. As we're studying, we're thinking, how are people going to receive this? What questions are they going to have? And so we answer them in our explanation, presuming we know those questions. And so if we can do that for, say, two or three or maybe five demographics, I've heard somebody say it this way, when he's preparing his sermon, he has a list of people on his church, and the list is always changing, four to five people of different demographics, men, women, old, young, teenagers, empty nesters, whatever it might be, and they change from season to season. And when he's preparing his sermon, he looks at those names and thinks, will that person get this illustration? Will that person understand how to apply this to their life? And if not, he has work still to do to make it the best sermon it can be. That's really good. Yeah, so those, that's what I do. I, I either wait for it or I go for it. And I try to do a combination of both. And I think both is helpful. Thanks for listening to the Luke 10.2 podcast. For more information about the SEND Network in St. Louis, visit SEND.com 
stl.com. 